Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, January 14th, and we have got a whole slew of things to talk about today. Tim, what's happening? I am flying around the house, packing up, getting ready to head out to Boston for a work trip. Um, you know, sneaking in a little time here so that we can talk hoops and, and some football news, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited. I, uh, from our brief conversation in the beginning of the podcast, I hear you are one-arming it today. Yeah, little, uh, little injury in the gym. Not sure what's happening, but uh, you know, left arm not feeling so good. So we'll, we'll see. Um, believe I told you I was feeling a little bit winded after putting in a hair tie, so I decided to. Right. <laughs> Decided to go to the gym, and then I come back a uh, little bit, a little bit hurt. So uh, yeah. off to a great start in this new year. Definitely uh, physically, physically not going so well. But uh, <laughs> but man, let me tell you, uh, there's a lot of news to get to here in the ACC. Um, most notably, possibly the Dan Enos hiring to Miami as the offensive yeah. coordinator. So he. Right spurns Alabama and uh, decides to join Manny Diaz and company, which if you do recall, Manny Diaz decided to fire the, the entire offensive coaching staff. So what was your, uh, what was your initial reaction to this? Um, yeah, I mean, I, my initial reaction was, hey, I guess that means uh, Jalen Hurts is now headed to Miami. Of course, that's jumping the gun a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's a good hire for Miami. Uh, you know, Enos is highly thought of, you know, obviously OC at Arkansas for quite some time um, coming from the, the SEC in Alabama is a big deal for a quarterback's coach. And, um, you know, it's it's a it's a position on Miami's coaching staff that's badly in need of improvement. And I think Enos is certainly a step in the right direction. Um, and it kind of gives you an idea, I think, of what kind of offense to expect from Miami. Um, it should look obviously similar to what Alabama was running already. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it could end up being a high flying deal. Um, and, and, you know, Jalen hurts would certainly accelerate that process. And if this doesn't end in Jalen somehow, um, I still think they're in a better spot than they were. So that that's where I stand. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, run pass option, tempo based scheme. So, right. um, anything is an upgrade for Miami at this point. Uh, I think it's just finding the right quarterback to run that system. So uh, Enos is a guy, former uh, head coaching experience. He only spent that one year at Bama. He was offered the offensive coordinator position, and he said, no thanks, Nick. I've seen enough. I am headed to Miami where the players play. So uh, <laughs> Nice. They also, uh, they also hired a few other coaches there. They uh, got a running back coach in Eric Hickson, and uh, – Butch Berry is coming over to coach the O-line. He has spent the last four years as an assistant at uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So right. uh, the staff starting to round out there. Another smaller hire uh, of notes, the Alabama offensive line coach, Brent Key, is headed to Georgia Tech. Sure. Um, I thought this was a good, a good kind of under-the-radar hire. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, a brand-new scheme. They're really going to need somebody to come in there and, you know, blocking is going to be a lot different than what they've been doing in that triple option. So he uh, he was actually a four-year starter at Georgia Tech back in the day, and he has coached the Bama offensive line to three straight seasons of being named finalist for the Joe Moore Award, which is the 
best offensive line unit as a whole. So nice. um, sneaky good hire for Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, so we were talking about this a little bit before coming on. We'll refer to it as Rapto. But uh, Willie Taggart is being sued from his days back in Oregon. I mean, he didn't have a lot of days, probably less than 365. <laughs> but sure. uh, a second Oregon football player has filed a lawsuit against Willie Taggart, the NCAA, and Oregon, um, basically stating that the coaches imposed a physically impossible exercise regimen of squats and told the student-athletes that the workout would demonstrate who wanted to be on the team. And then three players suffered from rhabdo, um, which is a skeletal muscle tissue breaking down rapidly um and releasing yeah, bad dangerous. things to the bloodstream so uh kind of interesting here i mean you know it just seems to be getting even better for willie taggart at this point um you know i don't know if you uh if you saw this or had any reaction but i think it's something that you know coaches in today's age have to have to watch a little bit more carefully as to what they're doing in practice yeah um you know practices under such a microscope now when you read books like the junction boys and things and um read about old football practices you know the stuff that was happening back then certainly if it was happening today would be very frowned upon um and in with the microscope you're under and the social media and um you have to be careful what you're doing and if you're introducing exercises that are causing multiple players on a team to go into rhabdomyolysis you've got a bit of an issue um, you know, I don't know how much Willie did or didn't have to do with that. I, you know, I won't speculate too much on that. Um, but certainly it's not a good look for him and it's not an issue that he wants to have any of his focus towards as he's trying to swing that program around, um, in the right direction. So, you know, just one thing he doesn't need to deal with that he's going to have to deal with. And, um, you know, I'm sure these lessons will continue to be learned moving forward and practices will you know, as a natural course of things, get less and less intense than they were in the past. Yeah, so, I mean, there's just so many restrictions around football practicing now and the amount of time you can spend at pads and, you know, mandatory water breaks. So it is surprising to see things like this happen, especially in a place like Oregon where, you know, the weather really isn't too hot in the summertime. It's not like you're down in, I don't know, Tallahassee, uh, where it's extremely humid and... um, you know, 90, maybe even 100 degree weather um, in the in the summertime. So whatever the uh, whatever the training regimen was, clearly a few players didn't uh, take well to it. So hopefully that gets settled and, you know, everybody that was involved comes out, right, comes out for the better. Um, Moving to some more pleasant news, Clemson or depending on how you look at it, Clemson is seeing a whole slew of players leave for the NFL draft, which is no surprise. Uh, They're losing their entire defensive line, Dexter Lawrence. um, He was the 6'5", 340-pound defensive tackle that uh, was unable to play in the college football playoff for a suspension related to performance-enhancing drugs. He is the 14th player on Mel Kuyper's big board, and uh, Cleland Farrell and uh, Cleveland Farrell is leaving as well. And then obviously Christian Wilkins, who's a senior, Austin Bryant, uh, they will be joining him. So there are three guys from the Clemson defensive line that are in Mel Kuyper's top 21 of 
best players in the draft. Yeah, not bad. Pretty not impressive. bad recruiting there by Dabo. A couple other guys that are headed out, Trayvon Mullen. Uh, he is actually Kuiper's fifth-ranked cornerback in the draft. He mm-hmm. uh, he had six tackles, a pick, and a forced fumble in the national championship. Um, he will be missed in that secondary. And then uh, linebacker Trey Lamar is uh, second on the team in tackles this year, so he is also headed. So that that's about seven guys, I believe, that are right. headed to the NFL um, yeah. for Clemson, either through leaving early or through graduation. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how they uh, how they reload next year. Right. And, and make no mistake, Clemson should, for all intents and purposes, be able to reload given the, you know, the strength at which they've recruited. However, um, they also hit on a lot of these guys at the same time, which is always effective. You know, the past three years of success really has been built on these guys' shoulders. The defense has been amazing. Uh, Venables obviously will remain the constant there for that defense. But figuring out how to produce at that level when you're losing seven guys of that quality moving into next season is going to be something to watch. Um, you know, expect a fairly, not a huge drop off in, in production from that defense, but it will certainly suffer. I mean, there's no way they're going to bounce back with a defense of the same quality. It'll be interesting how large or how small that gap is from where they are now to where they finish next year. Um, that's really going to tell the tale of a lot of their success next year because we know that offense is going to keep humming with uh, Trevor Lawrence. So uh, certainly something to watch, and, and I think something everyone, everyone kind of expected going into the draft with how well those guys performed. Um, you know, It was really time for a lot of those guys to make that leap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no, no surprise that's uh, one of the – one of the cons with having so much talent on your team, you're going to yeah. lose guys to to the draft early. But uh, I think, like we saw yeah. with uh, Dexter Lawrence in the national championship, you know they're able to kind of fill in holes pretty well, even if they're not getting the same level of play. So right, um, and it's a dual-edged sword. I mean, it's Davo. You know, he hates it in the sense that he's going to have to reload, and no coach wants to do that. But he also knows that the recruits, the level of recruits that he is recruiting right now, are guys that are want going to be in, at Clemson for three years and hop out to the NFL. Um, it's not the kind of guy that says, you know what, I really want to go to school for four years and get my degree, and then maybe, maybe not the NFL. He's recruiting the guys that are expecting to hop out early. So the more of these early entrants that Clemson has, honestly, is the better for them in the long run when it comes to recruiting. Um, you know, another school we've seen this with is NC State. Um, having athletes continually jump to the NFL, you know, after, you know, before their eligibility is up has really helped them on the recruiting trail. Um, You can read many recruits talking about how that left a huge impact on them seeing NC State with the ability to get these guys ready for the draft. Clemson, you know, doing the same thing. And and that's honestly a great look for a program moving forward. And um, we'll see. It's not like their their recruiting is hurting, but it should certainly help breed some consistency in those high – high-class rankings that they have now. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, look at Virginia Tech. They lost seven guys from the defense uh, from last right. year's unit. That was a top 15 defense in the country. And, uh, you know, through a couple of other suspensions, I think they had pretty much lost nine guys by game three of this year. So, um, obviously, they had a pretty bad season. They don't recruit to the level that uh, Clemson does. So, I think there mm-hmm. could be a step back. But... I haven't taken a huge look at Clemson's schedule next year, but I'm assuming it's fairly favorable as far as conference play goes, which 
leads into the next thing. The ACC network is set to launch uh, next year, August 20, or this year, excuse me, it's 2019 now. Uh, August 22nd, uh, Georgia Tech Clemson will be the first game played. There's actually going to be two other ACC games that weekend. Virginia Tech and Boston College is the likely matchup, and Pitt and UVA is the other likely matchup. So we know it's those four teams. We just don't know the specifics of the matchups, but everything is pointing to uh, to those two that I just mentioned. So we get a little, a little early uh, ACC action right there on opening weekend, so that should be uh, that should be a fun way to start things out for the ACC network. Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, something else that uh, that I found interesting, there was um, there was some talk a little bit earlier on this week of college football playoff expansion and what that means for the ACC championship. So basically, if the college football ch- uh, playoff does actually expand, the ACC has an opt-out of having a conference championship game. Uh, So they're actually contracted in Charlotte through 2030 to have the game there. Uh, There is an opt-out clause with that agreement um, to where if the playoff does expand, they have the ability to cancel that. So John Swafford was uh, the ACC commissioner, was quoted uh, leading up to the national championship about this. He said they hadn't talked about that scenario. And even if they did, you know, what would conference play look like? Would they move to 11 games? Uh, if there was no conference championship. So uh, a little bit interesting there. Um, Just thought I would point it out. You know, the ACC championship game has been around since 2004 when uh, Miami Virginia Tech joined and then Boston College joined. um, Or excuse me, it's been around since 2005 after Boston College joined in 2005 to make it a 12-team conference. And uh, I'd say it's been somewhat successful. I mean, they split to divisions at that point with the Atlantic and Coastal. They made sure they had Miami and Florida State in different divisions, so they would play in the conference championship every year. However, Miami's only been to one ACC championship game um, since it has actually started. So uh, Virginia Tech and Clemson have appeared the most times with six, and then Clemson uh, Clemson has won the championship uh, the most of any school in the ACC. So I don't know what your reaction is to some of that talk. Yeah, uh, no real reaction there. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens as far as that goes. Uh, You know, the only real reaction I have, and it's not necessarily topical to what you said, is I I think it's time to rebalance the divisions um, or get rid of divisions entirely. I think there's a a method of doing that as well that makes sense. Um, But the imbalance between the two divisions is getting to the point now where I I think it's worth looking at. if Miami could really start stepping up, or Virginia could start, or Virginia Tech could start stepping up, um, or Virginia for that matter, we could see where this may play out and it may end up working. Um, however, I think the two most likely candidates for continued dominance in the ACC are Florida State and Clemson, and the, you know those two being on the same side of the conference. I, I still don't love that, um, but you know, th- there's not a whole lot you can do uh, as far as that goes. That's that's topic for another day but um I, I would like to continue to see the acc championship game stay in the north carolina area too i think that's going to be important moving forward um so yeah I'm, I'm not all that unpleased with how well the acc championship game is done to this point yeah i mean I'd, I'd somewhat disagree as far as the way that the divisions are laid out i mean you go through ebbs and flows so 
right now Clemson is the class of the ACC. So no matter what division they would be in, they'd likely be representing the that division in the conference championship game. Typically, uh, Virginia Tech and Miami are, you know, competing for conference championships every year. They've had a couple of down years. Miami's just had a, a bad decade, to be honest. But mm-hmm. uh, they they saw they showed signs of uh, life last year. Obviously, a reset year. But I think they're coming back. I think Virginia Tech will be strong um, in the next couple of years. You got UNC, who's looking up on the Atlantic side. You've got Clemson. You assume with the way Florida State is recruited, they're going to be pretty solid. And then you got schools like Syracuse and Boston College. So I think the divisions, for the most part, are are fairly even. The issue is you just have that super top-heavy team in one division, and you don't have a team like that in the other division, so it makes it look like it's way off kilter right now. And Florida State's been really bad um, over the last couple of years. So. I think yeah. the I mean they, they've had two years down for sure. Yeah, I think the most interesting part of the whole conversation was you know right now we're only playing eight conference games in the ACC, so to go from eight to eleven, that really kind of alters what happens uh, with your out of conference, which isn't necessarily a bad thing when you've got schools with FCS opponents on your schedule, which leads me to Virginia oh, Tech. They now have two FCS opponents on their schedule for 2019. Now, one thing I'll say, Virginia Tech has played the fewest FCS opponents of any team in the ACC um, over the last decade with only nine. The next closest team to them is North Carolina with 16. So it's not a given that they're going to have an FCS opponent. The only reason they have two coming up next year is because they basically canceled or they're trying to cancel the series against ECU uh, East Carolina because they uh, they were that upset with how things went down. And it wasn't just about East Carolina canceling the game. It was about how they reacted afterwards. They cashed the $500,000 check that we pay that Virginia Tech pays them. And uh, they also decided at the last minute on December 1st to play NC State instead of play Virginia Tech. Um, which I think left a bad taste in Witt's mouth. And so they had to scramble to find Marshall. So basically, uh, Virginia Tech has canceled the 2023 and 2025 road games at ECU, uh, but the home dates for 2020, 2022, and 2024 are still there. But Witt basically said, if they want to play them, we'll happily host, but I don't think that's going to happen. So interesting kind of scenario. It leaves Virginia Tech in a bad spot not that ECU is going to be a great matchup either way but it's still better than having another FCS team on your schedule but uh oh yeah the entire home schedule for Virginia Tech next year let me just read it off to you are you ready Furman Rhode Island Old Dominion Duke North Carolina Pittsburgh and Wake Forest let me rush out and get my season (laughs) tickets I can't wait I mean I'm so high with my heart is palpitating at this moment yeah, so that's um that's brutal. There's nothing else you can really say. It's it's absolutely brutal and it's a shame. It, it really is a shame. And you know, it's great that uh, Virginia Tech has only played 9 in the past decade. That's honestly surprising to me. Um in, in this day and age in football, I guess it's become commonplace to play those opponents, but um yeah, it's man, what a brutal a brutal schedule and it it really is is hard to find fault 
with Virginia Tech um, at this moment and with Babcock because their hand was pretty much forced in this case, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there just wasn't much they could do. I think they had to make a statement. We're not going to be treated this way, essentially. And uh, unfortunately, they're the one that's kind of left on the uh, unfavorable side of this um, in both cases. So uh, moving on, last news and note around the ACC I had is Torrey Holt will be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. The sixth NC State player to be inducted into that, um, into the Hall of Fame. He he was at NC State from 95 to 98, All-American, ACC Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year in 1998. He's the career leader in total receiving yards, single season, and a game. And had the record for most receptions in a season until Jacoby Myers actually broke it this year. So... He uh, was pretty much a no-brainer. He was also the sixth overall pick in the 99 draft, won a Super Bowl, named to the all-decade team, and has the 10th most receiving yards in NFL history. So most likely he's going to be uh, inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame as well. But uh, as a Wolfpack fan yourself, I'm sure you're happy to see him get in. Yeah, man, Torrey, what a legend. There are few players that I can recall with the sheer dominance that he played with in college. Um, you know, it was a different style of play. It, you know, there wasn't as much pass-happy offenses. He was doing it with a good, a solid quarterback in Jamie Barnett, um, but certainly not a Hall of Fame quality quarterback. Um, he made Jamie's job a lot easier. He made Mike O'Kane look a lot better, uh, who was the head coach at NC State at the time, um, and really just what an incredible player he was. And, you know, he, in my mind, he'll always be the guy that, uh, dominated the Seminoles on September 12, 1998, uh, with NC State coming off a huge upset there, uh, beating Florida State at Carter-Finley Stadium, beating Peter Warwick and, and the seeming seemingly unbeatable Florida State Seminoles at that point in time. Torrey had a huge punt return, and um, you know that was at a time in my life when those kind of games were just all you lived for, and you know we wore that as a badge of honor for many, many years in the future. Uh, being able to take Florida State's scalp in that matchup. And so, you know, Torrey holds a, a special place in my heart, and I'm glad to see him get the recognition. He was amazing in college, amazing in the NFL, and, uh, you know, he's got a crooked finger, so that's always cool. Yeah, it's always great to uh, take a look at some football players' hands and see what kind of uh, damage has been done over the years. But, uh, yeah, congrats to Torrey, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see him inducted into uh, – Canton Hall of Fame here pretty soon. The NFL. Oh sure, sure. Some uh, some other news and notes around college football. If you haven't been paying attention, Alabama has now lost five assistants this off season. Uh, Dan Enos to Miami, Mike Loxley to Maryland, Josh Gaddis to Michigan, Brent Key to Georgia Tech, and Kyle Pope to Liberty. So the standard. Um, revolving door at Alabama uh, as far as the coaching staff continues that being said former offensive analyst for Alabama and um, former Atlanta Falcons offense coordinator Steve Sarkeesian is headed to Alabama to be the offensive coordinator so he uh, he actually turned down an opportunity with uh, the Arizona Cardinals which I I thought was kind of a weird uh, job offer to extend from 
from uh, Cliff Kingsbury. But either way, he's he's headed back to uh, headed back to school. Yeah, yeah, it's a good hire for Alabama. I think. Um, I don't know how Bama fans are going to feel about it, given that they already have history with uh, with Sarkeesian. But um, you know, you could do a lot worse with him. Yeah, you could do a lot worse. Um, I, I mean, I don't love the hire, but I think I think he'll do fine there. Yeah. Uh, something else I wanted to talk about the situation going on at Ohio State. So I mentioned this uh, in last week's podcast with uh, Justin Fields. So I looked into it a little bit further. So Justin Fields has a chance to play next year. Um, after transferring from Georgia, he's already up in Columbus taking classes under something called the hardship waiver. So it is a loophole that Justin Fields' lawyers have found. And so the same lawyer was right. the guy who represented Shea Patterson from Ole Miss to go to uh, Michigan. But the hardship waiver was a little bit different in that case because there were so many things going on with the Ole Miss program where it was a little bit easier. But, hey, at the end of the day, I don't think Justin Fields should have to sit out a year. I mean, we see all these coaches continuing to jump around the program. I think players should have the opportunity to transfer once if they so choose. Um, I, I don't think they need to be transferring every year if it doesn't work out or if they lose a competition. But – you know, Fields kind of knew what he was getting into going to Georgia. He didn't win the battle. Oh, yeah. And uh, now he's going up to Ohio State. And I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Tate Martell, but he was <laughs> a familiar. highly coveted quarterback prospect. Um, I don't know if I'll go as far to say star, but one of the characters profiled on the Netflix series QB1. Um, right. So he... Uh, it sounds like he's going to transfer. Um, he'll have three more years of eligibility unless he's granted a waiver, which likely won't happen uh, for the 2019 season. So he's somebody else to keep an eye on. I think he'll probably go out west, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see him go to Miami, which Miami and Tate Martell, if you know anything about this guy, kind of a perfect fit. Oh, man. It's it's a match made in heaven, uh, giving the, the circus and drama that surrounds Tate Martell. Um, I think he'd fit right in in Miami. You know, the flashiness is a perfect fit. Uh, you know, a, a lot of drama around Tate. I think he was committed to Washington early, early on in his career as a high school football athlete, maybe into middle school. Um, yeah, flipped end, it around of, uh, to, end of eighth grade. End of eighth grade. Okay, so into middle school he was committed to Washington, maybe hopped around to Texas A&M at some point, ended up at Ohio State. Um, I remember there was a little bit of a circus in his recruitment um, but, you know, just continuing on into you know, some of his social media stuff. And, uh, you know, it continues now with, uh, you know, leaving Ohio State and trying to find a fit. You know, maybe Manny Diaz in Miami is where you want to go. But, you know, certainly if Jalen Hurts goes there, I wouldn't imagine. Um, you know, it, it could be a case in thinking about it. Obviously, Hurts is probably going to be able to play as a grad transfer um, for immediate eligibility next year, which would mean Tate, if he does have to sit out a year, could go to Miami too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the that's the other guy I want to touch on is Jalen Hurts. So he uh, he's been jumping around campus to campus, uh, meeting with coaches. So he was at what was the first school he went to? Slip in my mind, but he was uh, up in Maryland this past uh, this past weekend, and I think he's headed down to yeah. Miami soon. So 
Okay. He um he should be making a decision soon, but like you said, he'll be eligible to play immediately. A guy like Tate will have to likely sit out a year, and then uh and then we'll see him play wherever he's going. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see him go to somewhere like uh, UCLA or um, maybe even like USC. But yeah, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll I always forget that Chip Kelly is out in uh, UCLA at this point. That's I keep forgetting that. That would be an interesting yeah. spot for a quarterback to jump out to. Exactly. So, um, you know, one thing I wanted to hit on, and, you know, I personally find these uh, polls to be, you know, completely pointless, but amusing nonetheless. So you start seeing the way too early top 25 polls <laughs> about yes. the week before the, the national championship game. So I just kind of run, wanted to run through some of these real quick just to get a instantaneous reaction. And I'm going to use the poll from Athlon Sports since this okay. was the first one that I saw. So we got Alabama at one, Clemson at two. No surprises there. It could really mm-hmm. be flip-flopped. Nobody's going to care one way or the other. Georgia at three. I think Georgia's got a really strong case next year. Yeah. Uh, they still have Oklahoma up at four and Ohio State at five. So I think the – oh, that's Oklahoma. That's who the uh, – that's where Jalen Hurts went first. So, okay. Um, that'll yeah. be something could, to watch. I could see that. Yeah. Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts, they could make some noise. So I don't think any surprises really in the top five. Moving on, we've got Texas up at six, which obviously Texas uh, building off of that momentum from the Sugar Bowl. I think they're always overrated going into the season because of their name, Texas. Uh, If you can beat Maryland in the first week of the season, I'll start to feel better about it because that game always seems to give them issues. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, then we're followed by Florida, Michigan, and LSU. And rounding out the top ten, we have Texas A&M. So I really don't have any too many issues with uh, any of the top mm-hmm. ten teams here. That that looks pretty solid. It starts yeah, to get a little funky, vanilla. though, as we, as we head into the teens. So we've got Notre Dame, Oregon. Okay. All right. Pac-12 sure. team. Sure. Penn State. Uh, obviously, they'll be without – quarterback trace mcsorley so they'll have to find a Mm -hmm. replacement for him so that'll be something to watch then we've got washington so another pac-12 team and uh ucf rounds out the top 15 okay uh utah comes in at 16 and then we've got iowa at 17 at 18 we have wisconsin 19 we have nebraska so i don't know how familiar you are with nebraska season this past year I mean, in Quite a complete, complete rebuild mode, uh, Scott mm-hmm. Frost has a big job to do there. I think 19 is super aggressive for them. And, yeah. you know, I don't know off the top of my head, but that is a lot of Big Ten teams in the yeah. top 20 so far. Yeah, and a little heavy on the Pac-10 uh, the Pac teams, too, or the Pac-12 teams. Um, yeah. A little heavy on them as well. I'm not expecting, an, expecting another dud year from that conference, although that's really not going out on a limb much. Coming in at number 20, we've got the soon-to-be Kelly Bryant-led Missouri Tigers. Um, 21, we've got your Virginia Tech Hokies, which, uh, you know, I don't think if I'm uh, voting on top 25 next year, I'm putting Virginia Tech in. They've got no. some they've got some things to prove before I'm, I'm throwing yeah. them in the top 25. There are glaring issues on that team right now. Um, that we'll need to see a few games played before we're able to have a top 25 conversation with them. 
at 22, we've got Iowa State, who has definitely been better under uh, Chad Campbell under the last few years. Oh, so, yeah. And uh, Auburn at 23, Northwestern at 24, another Big Ten team, mm-hmm. and Washington State at 25. So the thing that really stood out to me about this was a lot of Pac-12 teams in there, um, none of which were USC or UCLA. Not that that's a surprise because they both had terrible years this year. Um, and a lot of big 10 teams. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, just, uh, wanted to reel those off for an instant reaction, but, uh, yeah, this means next to nothing. Um, yeah, it it doesn't mean a whole lot. It's interesting to see what people are thinking going into next year. Um, you know, I, I criticize these way too early top 25s and then I always read them and get upset about them. So yeah, of course. Um, I guess the joke's on me on the, in this case. But, yeah, yeah, way too heavy on the Pac-12, in my opinion. Um, after conference play, uh, we usually see that that's not going to shake out the way people think it is. Um, the Pac-12 probably will have less. Uh, Big Ten going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, that's always an interesting one. I think Penn State's a little high in those rankings. I think they have a lot of questions that they're going to need answered when it comes to the quarterback spot, um, which will play a, a huge role in you know the fate of their season because even with McSorley um, they didn't have the season they were hoping to have this past year and McSorley really bailed them out on occasion uh, from a couple losses that really would have hurt them so um, you know we'll see how they bounce back Uh, it'll be interesting to see even though USC is not in the top 25 how far do they fall and whether or not a coaching change is in their future Um, you know I feel like it is so uh, you know a lot to watch I wish that season could go ahead and kick off tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. I think we have something like 240 days left. So, not that I'm counting. Yeah, uh, punching the gut, man. Let's get some uh, rapid reaction for your way too early ACC picks. So, let's go your Atlantic winner, your can't wait to see team, and the team that you think will be much improved. You go first. Okay, so Atlantic winner is obviously uh, Clemson. I I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. Uh, the Atlantic team that I can't wait to see is probably going to be Syracuse. And it's not really that I'm excited to see, you know, any sort of explosion or, or you know, high level of football. I'm just interest, interested to see where they go with Dino Babers and no Dungy at quarterback. Uh, interested to see what that team is going to look like, how well they're going to perform, because they're going to come into the season with some expectations, um, which is more than they've had in the past. And then what was the third thing? Uh, your most improved. Yeah. Most improved is going to be Florida State. I think we're going to see a bounce back year from the Seminoles, and they should finish second in the conference. If we were just going based on talent, they would. Um, it, it all depends on the NC State quarterback play that they're going to get out of a quarterback room with a lot of potential right now, a lot of four-star guys in that quarterback room that are ready to compete for that job. It's going to be a battle between NC State and Florida State for second place. I think that alone is enough to get uh, Florida State the most improved nod from me. Uh, Almost the exact same for me, except I'm going Wake Forest. I think they have a lot of uh, young talent on that team, and they seem to be moving in the right direction from the most improved category, that is. So I think think there's still some things Florida State needs to work out. I I don't think they're going to have the season that everybody thinks they should have next year. Um, but we'll see. It's still, still very early. But for the uh, for the Coastal, I'll get this one kicked off. I've got sure. Virginia Tech as the champion. I think they find a way to do it with a fairly weak schedule. 
Uh, most improved, I am looking at North Carolina and can't wait to see. It's got to be Miami. You know, I think uh, Manny Diaz, uh, the entire dynamic there with the offense, the defense over the last couple of years seemed to have been, it, was, it seemed like it was a very divided situation. And the defense had this tremendous amount of swag, and the offense just continued to sputter and sputter and sputter. So now that we see Diaz running the entire show, I think that is uh, that's something to watch for an offensive improvement this year from from Miami. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I certainly think Miami is is my candidate for most improved. Um, you know, I expect them to emerge as the favorites as well. So they would be my pick for Coastal champion. Um, they're going to check that most improved box too. Uh, you know, the, the team I'm most excited to see for me, and this is a, a not biased pick here, this is Virginia Tech. I'm, I'm curious to see, one, what that quarterback situation is going to look like and if it is truly Ryan Willis's job to lose or if Patterson is going to make that jump and, and grab the starting spot. And it's a show-me year uh, for Fuente and, and Foster, who looked terrible this year, um, how they bounce back from a subpar job um, and hopefully answer some questions about the state of that football program. So I'm excited to see how that looks. You know, it, either there's going to be improvement there or Fuente may have to start answering some hard questions. Yeah, I think the uh, the Coastal Division is obviously up for grabs. I think the winner of the Virginia-Virginia Tech game wins the division. And uh, until Virginia can prove that they can beat Virginia Tech, I'm going Virginia Tech. Uh, yeah. So... Let's jump to some basketball talk. Uh, we are going to start talking about some ACC basketball. Uh, there's six teams right now ranked inside the top 20 in the AP. I mean, it has been a uh, great start to the year for ACC basketball. Just recapping some games from this weekend, uh, we had Duke FSU. Duke wins on a buzzer beater from Cam Reddish. Yep. Wide open for three, a kid that had been struggling quite a bit uh, with the shot over the last few games. And... Uh, Duke kind of fought their way through a very athletic uh, Florida State team with uh, no Zion in the second half after he uh, was seeing double vision after getting poked in the eye there late in the first. Right. Yeah. Uh, another game that uh, occurred yesterday, Virginia dominated Clemson, which oh, yeah. wasn't too surprising, but uh, – yeah, Clemson, uh, one of their worst shooting performances in program history. I think the fourth worst they've ever had against Virginia. So that Virginia team, very similar to what they were last year. Um, they're basically getting, um, they're basically being led by the same three players uh, that they were. And I think the difference is they seem a little bit more dynamic on offense. Um, and I think that yeah. kind of starts with DeAndre Hunter, who. He's uh, mm -hmm. averaging about 14 points, five boards. So he, they've gotten a little bit more offensively out of him this year than they did last. Right. And that, that's been surprising. Virginia was a team that people were expecting the same on the defensive side of the ball, which Bennett Ball, we all know what to expect there. And it's no surprise that they stifled Clemson and held them to a record-setting awful performance. Um, what has been a little surprising about Virginia is how well they've played in offense. And that is uh, what's got them sitting, you know, in the top of the country right now as far as rankings go. Um, you know, we're still going to be dealing with a top five team all year with them. And it'll be interesting to see if they do get the one seed, how they handle that in the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple of other games before we preview some next week. Louisville dominated UNC this weekend, uh, won yes. by 21 points. Um, UNC had kind of right of the ship there. They'd won four in a row, coming off a big win against NC State earlier last week, and they just had a terrible shooting uh, day shooting, and uh, their defense was inexplicably bad. It, this is a hard team to figure out. I mean, they're so up and down. They seem extremely inconsistent. This is their fourth loss. You know, I, I don't like what I'm seeing out of North Carolina. There's plenty of time for them to right the ship. Um, but they're not in my top three teams in the ACC right now. No, and nor, nor should they be. Uh, UNT has been a strange case all year as far as consistency goes. They've got such a good outside shooter in Cam Johnson who's just got one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen in, in college ball and – um, they're athletic. They play the style, you know, they play an attractive style of basketball. They, they do well with tempos and it's exciting stuff, but the consistency just isn't there. And a lot of the freshmen they expected big time years from have just been really inconsistent. Uh, Nas Little isn't a guy that I think scares anyone in the ACC at this point. And I don't know where they're going to end up, but they certainly don't look like your typical UNC team. There shouldn't be the same level of fear and, and, you know, a lot of teams, I think, are going to go into that game feeling like they can get a win against that Tar Heel team, and they won't just show up already beaten from the tip. So I think it is going to be a tougher year than you usually see the Tar, or the tar Heels have. I think they'll still finish, obviously, in the top half. I'm not that worried about them, but it's going to be, a, you know, a little lower than what they expect with Roy Williams. Yeah, another team that uh, is off to a good start this year, NC State. Uh, they were coming off a loss to North Carolina. Um in Raleigh last week and uh, yep. had a nice rebound win against Pitt, even uh, yeah. even being down two guys early in the game. Yeah, and that was tough. Their, uh, their star player, Markel Johnson, the point guard, went down early uh, from a, a pretty nasty fall. Hopefully his back is doing better. And Wyatt Walker, uh, starting center, was ejected minutes into the game for uh, grabbing someone's foot. So, um you know, big bounce back win from them. It's missing, as you said, missing two players. It's always good to see. Yeah, you know, I think I don't think Pitt is a tournament team. I mean, um, they were able to beat, I think it was Louisville um, in their yep. last game. It was mm-hmm. they had lost twenty five of twenty six uh, conference games since February. So they uh, they put a nice into that losing streak, and they're eleven and five this year. Again, don't think they're a tournament team, but I think they're a team that has the chance to pull a couple of upsets and catch a few teams off guard in the conference. Yeah, and where they came from, I mean, Pitt basketball was under Stallings was bad. They were real bad. And from a program standpoint, boy, they, that could have gone one or two ways. And I think it's clear that Capel has them playing way better than anyone expected. So uh, big shout-out to him for the amazing job he's done with Pitt. And those guys fight. There's a lot of fight in that team, and there are some good athletes. So, uh, you know, I, like you said, I think I think they'll take a couple of pretty big names down in the ACC season. Maybe not make the NCAA, but the NIT certainly in play right now. Yeah, for sure. So, looking at a couple of games before we meet next week, we've got uh, Syracuse at Duke on Monday. I think that's an easy pick for us. Uh, Syracuse has been pretty bad on offense this year. They're coming off a loss to. Georgia Tech, um, and even though it's a quick turnaround for both of these schools, I, I think Duke wins that pretty easily. Right. 
Then we've got FSU at Pittsburgh. Uh, this, to me, FSU has to be on high alert. They're coming off a very emotional loss to Duke. Uh, Pitt um, has been pretty good over their last couple of games. Again, with the win over Louisville, they lose a close game to NC State on the road. I think FSU's got to be careful. Yeah, and it's you know one of those classic don't let the – don't let the team that broke your heart at the buzzer beat you twice. And I think that may be the case. Cam Reddish's shot and watching all that FSU poured into that game, um, that's going to be a tough bounce back game to go at Pitt, um, a team that really you have to earn everything when you're playing against Pitt. And that's going to take a lot of getting up from the FSU players. Um, it's great that they still have, you know, Leonard Hamilton's favorite. Everybody on the team is seemingly over seven foot tall and extremely athletic. That's always hard for any team to deal with, but we'll see. Uh, it's certainly going to be interesting, and I, I do think FSU is going to struggle in that game. Uh, game of the week in the ACC, even though ESPN does not seem to think so. Virginia Tech on the road at UVA. Uh, this is a top 10 matchup and it won't be on ESPN Tuesday night. Notre Dame at UNC will be on ESPN for some reason. So you'll have to turn into your regional ACC network, or if you live in Chicago, stream it on the Watch ESPN app. But Virginia Tech, UVA, Virginia Tech coming off a very tight game against uh, Georgia Tech last week. Found a way to win, but it was an ugly, ugly game. What I liked about it is their best player, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, had his by far his worst game of the year, and yep. uh, they still found a way to win. They only shot 30% from the floor, if that. Um, this is a team, their second-best three-point shooting team in the country. Um, they play fast. They have a lot of dynamic athletes. Um, so I think their game against Georgia Tech really will help them with this UVA matchup because Georgia Tech is a team that plays very good defense, very similar to the style that UVA does where they try to slow you down and, you know, mm -hmm. press you in the half court. So that's something to watch out for. The thing that worries me with Virginia Tech consistently is just their lack of size outside of Blackshear. They rank last in the ACC in defensive rebounding. Um, so I think that'll be one of the keys to the game. But this is going to be a tough matchup. Um, you know, Virginia Tech was the only team to beat UVA last year um, in conference play. So... Um, I don't know who you got in this one, but I think I'm going with the upset. Um, it's one thing I know it's going to be awesome. It's We've got 30 games between the teams and one loss. So this is about as high quality of basketball as you're going to see this early in conference play. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, is, I think he's going to have a great game. He's been so good all year, uh, you know, averaging just about 18 points and, and shooting about 80% from the free throw line, which has been huge. Um obviously keeping Kyle Guy calm. Kyle Guy is a, a kid that just, you know, shoots the ball so well and is fundamentally such an outstanding player. It's going to be awesome to see. Hopefully the three-point shot is falling. If you can't knock down your three-pointers against UVA, you almost stand no chance because that defense is so stingy. Um, luckily, it's been trending well in the Hokies' favor as far as three-point percentage and how well they've been shooting from beyond the arc. I'm with you, man. I'm I'm all about the upset here and you know, I'm just excited for Tuesday to get here so we can watch such a good basketball game. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 65 points wins this game. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, definitely looking forward to Tuesday night. We've also got uh, a couple of other matchups. Uh, NC State at Wake Forest. I think mm -hmm. that's an easy NC State win. Should be. Yeah. And then uh, 
Notre Dame at North Carolina. Uh, Notre Dame just got their first conference win against Boston College. I'd expect UNC to be able to handle the Fighting Irish. They are depleted with injuries. So yeah. um, that seems to be a common theme for Notre Dame over the last couple of years. It has been. Um, you know, And like you, UNC and NC State should roll in those games. I'm not uh, not seeing any upsets there. So, uh, yeah, uh, the Virginia Tech, Virginia. It's going to be uh, headline material. Make sure you get in front of a TV for that one. Yeah, and then uh, to cap off uh, the week, Wednesday, Boston College at Louisville. Uh, I think Louisville is trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Chris Mack has those guys moving um, moving the right way, so they need to capitalize off that big win against UNC. And then uh, Georgia Tech at Clemson. I like Georgia Tech. Uh, I think I put them in a similar class as Pitt to where probably not going to make the NCAA tournament, but they're definitely a team. They play such good defense. They're going to be able to knock off uh, a big a big name or two not that clemson is that from a basketball standpoint but i like uh i like the yellow jackets on the road yeah yeah i I think i think i'm with you from what i've seen from georgia tech i really like their style of play this year i think it suits them and their personnel very well um and you know clemson has been a little disappointing but um expectations weren't too too high going in so um you know i definitely i think I'd, i'd err on the side of the jackets on that one too Awesome. So that is our show. Tim, do you have any last minute shout outs before we wrap this up? Um, not a specific shout out, but I am flying to Boston after this. So I will probably eat some chowder um, and just wanted to point to the regional namesake on our podcast to say, hey, we just don't talk about it. We live it, baby. Yeah, exactly. I had some uh, I had some grits the other day. Perfect. So We're covering I, all the uh, bases. I did it. Yeah, just you know, you got to do it for the brand. Yeah, that's that's what we're about here. That so. and you have to keep your southern ties in Chicago. I mean, you've got to keep that tradition and that culture going up there. You know, especially in the dead of winter. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely do. I it snowed, so I've been shoveling some snow this weekend. So that's been a lot of fun. But uh, but yeah, like Tim mentioned, we are Chowder and Grits. Visit chowderandgrits.com. We've got our mailbag there on the forum. Uh, go check that out. Start posting. Um, you know talk about whatever you want to talk about follow us on twitter like us on facebook and please listen subscribe share the podcast um you can find us on apple Podcasts, google play music spotify stitcher and tune in radio or you can just go to chowdernandgrits.com and listen to it that way tim as always this was a good time a lot of things going on in the acc uh basketball is full steam ahead road to march is uh fast and furious so Uh, safe travels up in boston this week hey i appreciate it and uh yeah everybody out there listening come on go drop us some mailbag questions we'd love some stuff to answer on the next podcast that's where we're going to leave you guys today and as usual we'll close it down with a go acc see you guys